Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Football is officially back today. We are so freaking excited, even though we won't see the Broncos play for a few more days. DMAC football is still here. Real football. NFL football. I'm I'm excited. And uh, my Buffalo Bills, I'm now claiming the Bills, Um, hopefully get start off with a nice win against the Rams. Listen here, DMAC. Football is back, and you're acting like you have to go to a detention for two hours. Oh, no, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited, Rachel, because we can focus on real football, not 19-year-olds. So it's good. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, we're going to get into picks later. Sean Drotar is going to join us here in a little bit, too. But we have to talk about some news coming out about tonight's game. Is that Matthew Stafford underwent elbow surgery this past offseason. This news just coming out, which is kind of surprising, DMAC, considering we haven't heard anything about it. But yet, here we are, night one, and we're finding out he has surgery. I thought it did come out he had. So this is the first? This is coming out? Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything. This morning, it seemed like everybody was kind of shocked about it. Oh, okay. I could have sworn there was something about him having some sort of injury stuff and coming back from, but um, I could be wrong. But, yeah, I, uh, Stafford's been kind of banged up through, through throughout the years. Um, you know, I feel weird on this. I, I guess it is new news, but it feels also like that, oh, boy, what am I thinking about? I don't know. But I, I always thought he had been hurt. So I guess I'm not all that shocked, although maybe I'm just disillusioned. I think there was information out that he had hurt his elbow and that he was yeah. dealing with pain throughout it and that it was, uh, yeah. So Jake Shapiro on the back end, he says, we found out earlier he was hurt. He played through the pain in the Super Bowl, but not the surgery. So we do find oh. out that he got the surgery. All right. Um, yourself, do, you, do you think that's a big deal? I'm not surprised. Like football players go through pain all the time and they deal with pain and they play through pain, but it's just surprising that it's kind of coming out right now, but also being in the media, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because this is always when these things kind of leak. Yeah. um, Well, that's a nice little secret to keep under your hat this long. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it was, you know, a big secret this long, why it's coming out now. Um, But, but he's participating. Well, you know, like the Broncos, the Rams don't play any of their starters in preseason. Mm-hmm. So you have nothing to gauge it off of. I know, for example, like the surgery to Randy Gregory, Broncos weren't announcing that. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of came out through a variety of leaks, and nobody was really supposed to know it. But, you know, we haven't seen Randy Gregory play. We haven't – well, we haven't seen Russell Wilson play. We haven't seen anybody play. We haven't seen um, – it's a, it's a complete mystery what's, what's going to happen on Monday night, and perhaps with Stafford as well. Yeah, we'll I'm – so so, so are you gonna take that are you gonna pick the bills then are you gonna are you going with the bills i'm so torn dmac like i said though we're gonna get into this because we're also gonna get chandra tar's pick for later tonight so we're gonna get into it i promise but we need to go back to yesterday when emmanuel sanders announces his retirement and we've got a clip from this press conference that i think the world needs to see involving dmac go ahead and play it yeah so 
Hey, but she wanna know it's crazy. That's my boy now. That's my boy. I called. We talked on the phone like two weeks ago. So, yeah, exactly. Mac, what on earth are you talking to Emmanuel Sanders about? The fact that he's saying that's my boy right there. I need details. Uh, well, Emmanuel and I had a um, a beef, a, a pretty big one. That was that was very public. And we squashed the beef. I'm assuming that this happened before I came into the sports media world. It was. It was It was a long time ago. It was okay. actually years ago. Literally years ago. And, um, and, and, and. You don't, here, hold on one second. You don't have to share the details, but I need to know, was it based off of a question that you had asked him? Because you are known for, no. okay. No, it was, it was based on, I was being critical um, I saw some stuff and I was critical of some of the, the ways he was being a leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll just leave it there. And then, then we kind of just went back and forth. Um, and, and it was actually a pretty dramatic moment. He came into studio and we just face to face. Um, and Zach by was actually there. He was filling in that day. And we just, we just expressed how we felt about each other right to each other's faces. And, and, Neither one of us held back, uh, and it wasn't. It was. It was brewing for a long time. Okay. But here's 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 what I think is important with the relationship I have with Emmanuel. Um, the and the reason I even asked that question because it goes back to, I think the amazing way that Emmanuel Sanders had sort of grown throughout the years, and and what leadership skills he was trying to impart to the Broncos who he won a championship. He's a a high level player, but then he's dealing with like Cortland Sutton and a bunch of younger players. And how can they appreciate what it takes to actually be tough, how to lead, what to do that sort of thing. So maybe I, I kind of, you know, butchered how I asked the question, but what I wanted to say is what have you seen with a guy that you had a fight with in terms of leadership stuff to the point that he's named a captain. So, all right, I'll, I'll give myself a C minus for uh, question asking purposes, but but I wasn't, I certainly wasn't trying to stir the pot or saying something confrontational. Um, it just came out kind of quirky, I guess. What I wanted was a take from him about Cortland Sutton's leadership skills and what that meant for the future. And if you play his answer, it's actually pretty phenomenal what he talks about. And then I asked him about what is toughness, um, and he went on and on about what it takes to be mentally tough. So really it was a very, very football sort of oriented question. But the reason why it's funny is because everybody in the room knows at one point, Emmanuel and I had a very confrontational relationship, but I'm as friendly with Emmanuel. This is no joke. I am as friendly with Emmanuel as I am with uh, any player who has any ex player of the Broncos that, that exists out there. Mm-hmm. And I like Emmanuel quite a bit. And we did talk uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, at length and he told me he was going to retire and mm-hmm. uh, I kept it under my hat because uh, he didn't want it out there and I respected that and we just sort of talked he's, he's going to go into the media so we had discussions about this that the other thing and he's going to be a huge tv star so all right I butchered the question I could have asked the question a lot better I wasn't trying to stir the pot and uh but Rachel I 
I got to be in a klutzy way me sometimes. And his answer is the more important part. It's the more important part. And he was goofing on me, obviously, mm-hmm. right there. And he got a laugh. So I'm happy to be the uh, the butt of the joke. Hold on one second, because I just realized that I have a picture that I need to show you just real quick, but it did not upload. And so I need to get it real quick. Uh, but going back to your question, what did you like about what he said about Cortland Sutton? Because really, he talked about him being the man being the dog oh yeah because we because on the surface it's not obvious what Cortland Sutton's leadership skills are because he's a relatively mm-hmm. quiet guy and when he was asked he was talking about leading by example the insight that Sanders gave to me was Sutton does everything perfectly all the time he does the little stuff the right way and he has the ability and um he has earned um mm-hmm. The, the, the right to actually go up to guys, pull them aside and say, hey, man, you should think about doing it this way or that way or this is the right way to do things. And by the way, I, I think that's what Sanders was trying to teach Sutton with the times that they were together, too. Emmanuel's a very old school sort of uh, guy, and he's, he's a big time underdog, an incredible athletic player who played for a smaller guy, played on the outside, which is unusual. Usually it's much bigger players playing on the outside, smaller guys are in the slot. Mm-hmm. So the degree that Emmanuel's overcome the odds, plus he's had some crazy injuries too to go along with everything else, is, is actually pretty remarkable. He believed in doing things a certain way. Um, he had a disagreement with Sutton about that one day out in practice. They did have a fight. That was, this is back with Joe Flacco being the quarterback. Uh, Emmanuel did get traded later on. But I, I and I thought his answer was pretty amazing. He actually said, "I there's nothing I can teach him, uh, Cortland Sutton because Sutton's already learned those things and he's already doing them." And I think for and then he praised Coach Azani too, the the receivers coach, for being a great leader and a great coach in terms of teaching the right examples to the receivers that are being passed down through the years. So I thought it was pretty cool. And 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 I won't question Cortland Sutton being a captain. Based on, you know, he's been voted as a captain by his teammates and he's getting incredibly high praise from Emmanuel Sanders. And Sutton is coming off an injury and then a year where, you know, it always felt like that injury was hurting him. And now he's the number one receiver on the Denver Broncos. So a lot on Cortland Sutton. And if you just go down the line, Rachel, whatever Emmanuel has passed on to Sutton, theoretically, you would think Sutton needs to pass on to Jerry Judy. And so it goes. And down, I thought it was cool. Down the line for sure. Okay, well, I want to show you this picture real quick. This is the look that I screen grabbed from the video of the way Emmanuel Sanders is looking at you. Are you kidding me, D-Mac? <laughs> well, that, that's funny. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. It's funny. Um, I talked to Emmanuel after the press conference too, and I congratulated him on his career. And, you know, he was off to New York. Um, he, he didn't officially announce what TV deal he's doing, but he's, he's going to be with the TV network doing football stuff. And um, he wants to like slowly integrate himself back into um, the workforce one way or the other. He's putting a high priority on spending time with his family, his kids. That's why he's living here in Colorado. And it was super cute when his son asked him a question during the press conference as well. So I thought it was uh, for what it's worth. I thought it was a great, farewell press conference he uh Mm -hmm. has personal relationships with tons of media people um i think he came off he had some some very honest moments about his career and had some laughs and we had a back and forth i mean it was the total package 
Well, let's go ahead and talk about one of those moments where we got a clip of him talking about his experience of when he decided to come to Denver. Go ahead and take a listen. I remember uh, Andy Reid had left, and I don't want to keep talking about this story, but Andy Reid had left, and uh, I'm sitting there, and we were trying to work out the the logistics because I wanted to sign a three-year. They wanted me to sign a four, and I told them, no, I'm only signing a three. So Andy Reid leaves. He thinks I'm signing with the Chiefs. All of a sudden, I'm telling him I get the call in the facility that, you know, I can go to Denver. I tell him I'm going to Denver. So I'm there in their facility. And I remember telling him, like, I kind of want to just go back to my hotel and figure out the situation. Uh, you know, like, I don't know what I want to do. I might sign. I don't know. But I, I was just trying to get out of there so I can go really celebrate because I'm about to go play with Peyton freaking Manning, the sheriff. You know what I mean? So they wouldn't let me out of the facility. So I remember trying to leave. And I remember Andy Reid, I see his car just flying down, right? It was flying down. He hopped out like, what is going on? And, you know, I don't care to go into too many crazy details, but that's just how close it was because I was literally sitting in that room like I'm about, to, I'm about to sign. I remember calling all my family. I told them I'm about to sign with the Chiefs. And um, it, 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 it didn't happen, you know. I ended up coming here, which is the best thing ever. How different it would be. We welcome in Sean Drotar. Sean, thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. But how different would the NFL have looked, and this Broncos team even, if Emmanuel Sanders had never come to the Broncos, instead would have been a Kansas City Chief, Sean? Well, obviously it would have made a monumental difference. When you talk about that combination of Sanders and and, uh, Demarius Thomas in particular, the – combination was impactful because not only could Peyton Manning find those targets at any point in time, but Sanders at times was able to escape double teams. You had multiple thousand yard receivers. It, would it have made a, would it have stopped the Broncos from winning the Super Bowl? Maybe, but certainly an impactful player over the, the span of time in which he was with Manning. And then even remember he had a thousand yards with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. So definitely an important player for the Broncos. D-Mac? It's a great question. I think, well, how valuable are wide receivers when you have a great quarterback? You know, it's, it's, and that is kind of the chicken or the egg sort of argument. Mm-hmm. Um, how good was Peyton Manning? Could it have been anybody? Uh, or, or did he really need those special receivers? I don't know. That's a tricky one. You know, it, it did seem like Peyton Manning made a lot of receivers pretty cool, right? You know, he, he created a lot of great careers and got a lot of coaches and other players paid. But that being said, you, you, if we're going to look at Emmanuel Sanders, you probably should look at the total record. You should look at how productive he was with the Steelers and Antonio Brown and even his contributions with the Saints, 49ers, and Bills, by the way. You know, he was an important uh, player on all those teams. And did all those teams go to the playoffs? I, I think they, they might have. I mean, Sam Brand went to a Super Bowl. I mean, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't overthrow Emmanuel Sanders, they, they may win the Super Bowl. So you could say maybe Sanders is actually – Manning is terrific, but Sanders helped boost it to another level. Also, with Demarius Thomas, he had that rare uh, gift of size and speed. And Emmanuel didn't have the size, but he did have the speed. So while you could just throw an out to Demarius Thomas and he could take it for 40, 50 yards, right? Sanders wasn't quite like that, but his, his degree of toughness and his willingness to take a hit and go for passes and get hit – that's why I asked him about toughness, how he de- defined toughness, because that's what he had. And then you look at the combination of DT and Emmanuel, 
And you should, rightfully so, compare it to Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. And look how well the two of them work together. So you can make a significant argument that having two great guys like that on the outside can make all the difference in the world. The tricky part, here's the tricky part. How do you justify paying high-priced wide receivers? What's the value of that? And once they paid Demarius and paid Emmanuel and Manning wasn't around anymore, then it was just like, well, what are we doing here? And then you, you can't do anything. And I remember uh, time quickly with Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker, and that was with Tim Tebow. And look at their numbers with Tebow and look at the numbers with Peyton Manning. I mean, it's absolutely through the roof. It's a great question. I don't have a significant answer for it. I just know the impact of Sanders with DT was different, and they did win a Super Bowl compared to losing a Super Bowl without Emmanuel Sanders. That is true. Called themselves Thunder and Lightning. Uh, but it leads to a very interesting question a lot of people have been talking about. We talked about it a little bit yesterday on Coffee Break. I actually put a poll out on Twitter. Should Emmanuel go into the ring of fame? 60% of people said no. 40% said yes. Sean, what do you think? Uh, not immediately. Andrew Mason over at DenverFan.com wrote a terrific piece about exactly this yesterday and, and put a lengthy list of players that the Broncos need to eventually put into the ring of fame even maybe before Emmanuel Sanders. And that, that list is pretty long. So the Ring of Fame itself, obviously, they're either going to need a smaller font uh, when it comes to those signs in the building or they're going to have to add another ring. There's plenty of room for the, uh, for the plinths outside the stadium. There's room for more of those. But Emmanuel Sanders, one day, perhaps, uh, not in front of a lot of more uh, deserving candidates that were with the Broncos for a longer stretch of time. The impact was definitely significant. But you can make the, I feel like I'm talking against Emmanuel Sanders' record, which I'm not trying to do. But he was the number two receiver for a, a moment in time for the Broncos, in which they were very successful. But I think there are other players that are more deserving. Down the road, I don't think I have an issue with it, as that Super Bowl 50 team hopefully gets joined by another one in the next few years with Russell Wilson at the helm. Uh, Ring of Fame, 1,000%, he should be in, but so should Ed McCaffrey. Uh, yes. And and if if we want to play this game, okay, Ed first, and then so go ahead and put Ed in. So by the time it's you know five years down the road, you know Emmanuel Sanders can go in as well. It's long overdue for Ed. I don't understand why he's not there. There's plenty of room for names. I'm rolling my eyes at that. And the combination of Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey absolutely were critical for the Broncos winning two Super Bowls. The combination of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders were absolutely critical in winning their third Super Bowl. Guys, they've only won three Super Bowls. What are we talking about here? So so I give a extra nod to anybody who is part of those teams. So there'll be a lot of people going into the ring of fame, as far as I'm concerned, for the Broncos from the, the Super Bowl championship team. Uh, Derek Wolf certainly should go into the ring of fame. Um, you know, give me some other key guys on that, that particular team. You know, Vaughn, of course. Vaughn's got to go in the Hall of Fame first ballot. Um, and and Demarius Thomas. I, you know you know what I'm saying. So the answer to your question is yes, but to respond to Sean as well, you're right too. Like Ed McCaffrey needs to go and, and perhaps some others. I really don't. It's What are we doing here? Who cares? Put a million guys into the ring yeah. of fame that we love. What, what, are, what are we doing here? Why, why, be so, why be so choosy here on the ring of fame? 
there's no limit on it, right? I mean, you can do it no. as many as you'd like. So, the, you know, catch all the way up. Read Mace's article over at DenverFan.com. You'll see, you know, the Broncos all-time interception leader, Steve Foley. He's not in there. John Mobley, the centerpiece of, of, of the, uh, the the Super Bowl, whatever the Packers, on the defense there. Not in. Put him in. Uh, you know, Rulon Jones, one of the top five. Put, put him in. in. Uh, guys everywhere you could put in there. Gary Kubiak. Put him, put him in. in. Joe Collier, put him in. Left and right. There's so many guys that they could do it. You know, one of these days, I guess you just grab a dozen guys and go for it. And uh, Well, here's but, the problem. Real quick. Here's the problem. They put in John Lynch. Okay? And and John is in the Hall of Fame. He's a Tampa Bay Buck. Yes. You know, he only played four years. And not only did they put him in, they, they kind of put him in right away. So the, the, the Broncos organization themselves kind of opened this door. And if and I love John, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be there, but I'm saying if you're putting in John Lynch, and he never was part of a Super Bowl championship team with the Broncos, how are you leaving out Ed McCaffrey and Emmanuel uh, Sanders? Yeah, shades of uh, Ray Bork a little bit hanging in the rafters at, at Ball Arena as well. But but see, I'm fine with Ray Bork there because he was a critical part of them winning a championship. Absolutely critical. For 18 was, months, he's a Bruin. But. That's fine, but do you actually coalesce and win the Stanley Cup without Ray Borg? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it took seven games against the Devils back in the day. And again, the Avs have only won three Stanley Cups. The the guys that should be considered from this team that eventually get their number raised up is plenty. There's probably at least five or six guys from the, from that Avalanche team that's that that you couldn't win without. Cadre's number should probably be retired. How long was Cadre with the team? Don't tell me he wasn't as important as Ray Bork was for them winning a championship. Yeah, right. and, that, and that's where you run into that slippery slope, right, D-Mac? That, that, that's where you run into the, the John Lynch-type situation. So is there precedent? Of course, this always happens with rings of fame and halls of fame, right? Everybody looks at, at the one person who's maybe lowest on the list that maybe should be in there, and then that becomes – the bar of entry. And the truth of the matter is it's a little more nebulous. It changes from time to time. Uh, and the Broncos, I'm sure, will catch up. And Emmanuel Sanders, if uh, they feel he has his day, then he will. And I certainly will celebrate it uh, as much as anyone because obviously those Broncos Super Bowls, as DMX said, uh, there's only been three. And uh, you don't know when the next one will come, if it'll come. So, yeah, uh, remembering the people that you couldn't win without, it is important. It's exactly what rings of fame are for. Rachel, what would you do? I don't know, because I see the point. Ian in the comment said, not sure he has the longevity to be a part of the ring of fame. That doesn't take away anything part of his career. So it kind of ties in a little bit. Um, I think, yeah, why the hell not just add a bunch of the names? It doesn't matter. Like, there's really no reason not to have them. But there was also, Ian in our comments said, what about Chris Harris Jr.? Should he be added? Yes! Yes! Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't officially retired okay, but yet. Quick question. Right. At what point, then, are you just kind of handing out Oh, you were here. You did something good with this team. Here you go. That's where uh, I kind of, you know what well, I mean. Well, we're not, we're not putting uh, uh, Jarvis Moss in the Ring of Fame or something. We're not throwing Trevor Simeon in the Ring of Fame. He was on the championship team as a backup quarterback. We're not putting Brock Osweiler in the Ring of Fame, even though he was critically important that particular year. You know, I think it's kind of like you can take it by a case by case basis, and you just kind of know. And if you think a guy should go in the ring of fame. Perhaps he should. Nobody thinks Brock Osweiler would go in the ring of fame or Trevor Simeon. Okay. Nobody. Would you put uh, Tim Tebow? 
No. Um, no, no, I would not put Tim Tebow in the ring of fame. No. But, no. but, but, but I wouldn't be against recognizing that incredible season and Tim Tebow is part of it somewhere else outside of the stadium. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay when you think of a stadium design to recognize the amazing moments in your team's history. And you can't tell me if there wasn't uh, maybe a statue is too far, but if there was some sort of memory, some sort of memory of Tim Tebow being with the Broncos, you can't tell me that wouldn't be a popular place for fans to go visit, think about, talk about. It needs the to be magical, like the magical eight and eight season. Let's make sure you memorialize that. But it needs to be like a plaque with the catch against Pittsburgh. You know, what yeah. I mean? and a lot like of Matt Prater as well, I guess, too. <laughs> you know what? You know what you could do here. Here you go. You could memorialize something outside the stadium about the play to Demarius Thomas. That's how, right. How cool would that be? You That's could right. set some display or some memory about that play because it was absolutely iconic. It was one of the top five moments in Broncos history, period. And Tebow was a significant part of it. Mostly because he was mostly significant because the Steelers defense had so little respect for him, they decided (laughs) to not play anybody deep. Yep. No, 100%. Okay, well, we do have to tell you about an awesome, awesome opportunity for your student-athlete with Redline Athletics Centennial. They have a brand-new state-of-the-art training facility that you can take your student-athlete to and you can enter in. Today's the last day to enter in at DenverFan.com. Again, brand-new state-of-the-art speed and agility training facility. Take your student-athlete, so maybe one day we can be talking about them here on Coffee Break. This is an awesome Awesome opportunity, DenverFan.com. Definitely check it out. Today's the last day, everybody, so definitely go enter in. But we do need to talk now about tonight's game because football, NFL football, is back. So I want your picks. Who are you taking, the Bills or the Rams, Sean? Uh, The Bills. I I think the Bills are the favorites to win the Super Bowl for a reason. They are a complete team. I'm concerned about Matt Stafford's elbow when you're a quarterback in your 30s and you have a mystery elbow injury that then generally doesn't bode well. Uh, It's kind of the Von Miller Bowl as well. And I will generally side with the team that actually has Von Miller. Uh, now that's Buffalo. But this this would be a fun game. I think it's a good measuring stick for the rest of the AFC in particular. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Obviously, we'll be bracketing it. Uh, DMAC, of course, will have the drive before it. Sandy and I will be on immediately afterwards. Excited to see it. It's finally football season. We made it. Hallelujah. DMAC? Oh, it's the Bills. And it's probably the Bills and not, not all that close. And the Bills are... Uh, they're an unreal team. They are favored to win the Super Bowl, and I think they will win the Super Bowl this year. So if you're going to win the Super Bowl, you should start off with a tough road win, and that starts tonight. So I like the Bills. I have the Bills on our King Supers pick so I think I'm going to stick with that. The more and more I hear talk, the more and more I'm like, am I picking the right one? We're talking about the Super Bowl champions who still have a lot of them. So again, you can join our fantasy King Supers pick them. Go to denverfan.com. And at the very top, you're going to see play King Supers fan football pick them. Um, again, we're all playing too. So definitely come hang out with us. It's so much fun. You're going to see all of us talking smack. You've seen it a little bit on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram too. So come hang out with us, sign up, play King Supers fan pick them with us. It starts tonight, you guys. Football is back. I cannot believe it. I'm so freaking excited about it. So definitely hang out, join us there. But I do also want to talk about coach of the year. So good morning football this entire week has been doing their predictions. And Peter Schrager has picked Russell Wilson to win MVP and Nathaniel Hackett as coach of the year. Wow. Do you like it or not like it, Sean? Wow. 
I would be stunned if if it was uh, both uh, for sure. I think Hackett for coach of the year. We just talked about how, how the Bills are expected to be a dominant team, virtually a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Broncos to have Hackett be coach of the year or for Wilson to win MVP, you first have to win at least 11 games. Oh. You probably have to win the AFC West. Uh, I'm not sure if those things are in the cards for the Broncos, so I don't see either of those things happening. It doesn't mean they won't have a successful season, but MVP for Wilson requires a, a big big jump for the Broncos and for Hackett a rookie coach to be coach of the year only two of the last 17 rookie head coaches have made the playoffs in their first season he's already facing long odds from the get-go oh Sean, my god quick, real quick DMAC Sean what's your Sean, night truck with facts right there holy cow what's your record prediction I have them at 10 and 7 but if I'm going to be honest I have them closer to 9 than getting to 11 so I'll, I'll settle at 10 okay DMAC what do you think Oh, I think that's crazy to think <laughs> that he's going to be coach of the year. I mean, coach of the year? We're just talking about maybe making the playoffs. I've, I've got him at 10. I've got him at 10 and 7, too. I'm, I had him at 11 and 6, but I have him at 10 and 7, minus one game for Tim Patrick. I think it will cost the Broncos one game. Um, coach of the year? He'd have to win the AFC West. Uh, I've seen uh, Good Morning Football. I've seen other people not pick the Broncos to make the playoffs, which means they are in last place in the AFC West. You don't get coach of the year finishing in last place. And not only would you have to make the playoffs, you'd have to have a better record than the Chiefs. I don't know, man. I think that's a wild stretch. And that's 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 going a bit far. Okay, my question is, though, do we have too low of expectations or does everyone else have too high of expectations for Russell Wilson? Sean? That's kind of all across the board, and DMac yeah. alluded at it. Uh, you look at a guy like Peter King wrote wrote about it earlier this week. He has the Broncos not only missing the playoffs, but when you read between the lines, he has them with a, with a losing record. Right. So I think the expectations are are all over the place for Wilson. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say you wanted to have a three to three and a half to one touchdown to interception ratio. You're going to need him at near four thousand yards if you're going to be where you want to, this team to go. But remember, the Broncos' best weapon right now is a power running game that will let Wilson hit things over the top with play action. And that may keep down some of the yards. So I think the MVP talk is definitely premature. But what he can do to revitalize the Broncos, no, that is very, very real. And we'll find out how impactful it'll be as soon as Monday. Yeah, the Broncos... um... I don't know, guys. Uh, where where are we meeting? Like, you want to talk about Peter King? He had like the Dolphins making the playoffs at nine. He and did, eight, and the and the Broncos not in the playoffs. That to your point, Sean, he's insinuating they'll they'll be at eight and nine. I guess mm-hmm. uh, unless you're losing a tiebreaker to the Dol. I don't know. So I think everybody has the Broncos around the same place. Okay, I think it is that nine or ten win season. Virtually everybody sort of has the Broncos in that arena. And that looks like a good prediction to me. Um, It looks like if you're going to do that, you're going to be um, competitive in every game. Every week, we're going to be talking about how the Broncos can legitimately win. There's going to be a couple of clunkers in there. No doubt about it. Okay. There's going to be a couple games that probably look like the Broncos did look like against the bills where everybody says the sky is falling and likely there's a bounce back week like the Broncos even had in preseason. So I think that's what it'll be. There'll be, you know, a couple of close wins, but there's going to be a couple clunkers in there, a couple of clunkers. And I'm okay with that. And I would expect the best season for the Broncos in this era 
isn't this year anyway. It's next year. So I'm okay with uh, nine and eight and 10 and seven. I'm more than okay with it because I think it's the right path to doing well. But if you lose against Seattle, the world is over. Oh, yeah. The world is definitely over. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm excited because I'm about to sit down and talk with a Seattle reporter out there. So I'm going to peace out to you guys as we get ready to go behind enemy lines, everybody. Now is more duly Mora. Hello. How are you? Can you hear me? Oh, hold on one second. Behind enemy lines, everybody. Woo-hoo! Can you hear me? Hello. I can. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Good. Oh, my gosh. First of all, I love the background. Are you at the station? I am. I just got done with our, our show this morning, the Brock and Salk show. <laughs> okay, nice. So you're a producer over there, and we know you are actually a producer back here in Denver. So what made the move to Seattle? Um, so I, I, my family still lives in Colorado. My dad was military and retired there. Um, I went back for a little while uh, through our company, Bonneville, um, and then I got offered the opportunity to produce John Clayton's show. So um, I ended up coming back out to Seattle for that. I do love it here, but Colorado is beautiful too. (laughs) Gotta love Colorado for sure. And obviously rest in peace to John Clayton. Um, But we will go on now because we're all getting ready for Monday night. You know all the beef with Russell Wilson out there in Seattle. Can you tell us, because we've kind of heard multiple stories on what the heck actually happened between Russ and the Seahawks. Um. I could tell you, I guess, theories. I don't know if, if we know <laughs> for sure what happened, but there was definitely some some tension growing behind the scenes. For a long time, it felt like Pete Carroll and Russ were so tight that, honestly, in the Legion of Boom era, it made the other players a little uncomfortable. They thought he was getting treated with favoritism. But in recent seasons, you started to just hear little things in press conferences after games where, like, you know, Pete's saying Russell shouldn't have taken a sack there. And Russ is saying that maybe the offensive line isn't doing as much as they should for him or that, you know, they were doing fine until they started running the ball over and over again. So it's you started to feel kind of that disconnect. And um, I think that he honestly just thought that Pete Carroll was never going to, you know, they coined the phrase out here, let him cook. (laughs) But let him play the game that he wanted to play. I think that he felt they needed to give him a better offensive line. And they seemed to think that they had worked on that. I don't think that Russell agreed with that. Okay. So we've heard a lot of terms from reporters out in Seattle that Russ can be a little selfish. Russ wants to win MVP. ESPN did a whole article that dropped yesterday talking about how he's never won MVP but, you know, a lot of the moves he did in Seattle led towards people thinking that he wanted to do that. Um, well, we all want personal accolades and everything else. Do you think that personally, that goal, that personal achievement right there also played into him possibly wanting to leave Seattle? Um, definitely. I, I think that he and I don't think there's anything wrong with him wanting to win an MVP, by the way, when he, he puts in a lot of work. I don't think anyone ever, even though there have been some fans that didn't like the way things went down. I don't think anyone ever doubted Russell's work ethic. Mm -hmm. And when you put in that kind of work, you, you want to see those results. And I understand that he wants to leave a legacy, but it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I think that there was more of the issue was with him coming across as maybe not genuine Mm -hmm. with his teammates, at least. I don't, I don't think that they ever thought he was selfish. It's, it's not a problem for them that he wanted to win those accolades, but 
I don't, I think there was just a lot of maybe being one way in front of the media and being another way with their teammates. And I don't think that there was a lot of like really good close friendships formed where they're hanging out off the field or anything. It was just all, it's very much a business to him. Okay. So we've seen a lot of that here in Denver so far. We've seen him doing team dinners and picking up the checks, obviously with his new contract, it makes a lot of sense there too. Do you think that this is part of it a little bit of it's a fresh start for Russell Wilson and maybe he can start doing those things to be a little bit more on that teammate side of things? Yeah, definitely. I I think there's always room for a fresh start. And I think that when he started here, you know, the LOB kind of formed at the same time that that he took over. And he it wasn't like he came in as a highly touted pick. He was a third rounder mm-hmm. that kind of surprised everyone by, you know, de- beating out Matt Flynn when they had just paid Matt Flynn millions of dollars. So I don't think that he was able to kind of step into that leadership role right away. The LO, That was the LOB. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that had something to do with the way that the relationships formed and the way everything played out. Now he's coming in as the guy and he, you know, knows what he wants to do there. He wants to win those MVPs. He wants to go to another Super Bowl, And I think he will approach it in a different way. Okay. Well, we're switching roles here in Denver and Seattle. We had the quarterback battle for the past couple of years. Now we've got the franchise quarterback. I know Geno Smith was named the starter over Drew Locke. I need to know, are you team Smith or Locke? Who, who are you got? Oh man. Well, (laughs) this is, (laughs) it's tough. Honestly, I don't think it's the quarterback battle that that anyone would hope for. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I get that on levels. (laughs) I know uh, Tyler Columbus, when we had him on out here and asked him about Drew Locke, the first thing he said was, he's a really nice guy. (laughs) We're like, oh, that doesn't seem like the first thing you want to hear about your quarterback. But uh, to me personally, I think this is going to be a bit of a rebuilding year. I'm not expecting the Seahawks to make the playoffs. So I was kind of rooting for Drew Locke because I just think he's a little more fun to watch. He is going to take those risks, but uh, Geno Smith is very much a, a game manager and you just don't see a lot of pizzazz or creativity out there. Which is exactly the reason why I like Drew Locke too, was he gave you that little spark of hope compared to Brady or Teddy Bridgewater when he was out here, when you were like, okay, we're just going to see the same thing we know. Where Drew, you never really knew what he was going to do. So do you anticipate at all to be there to be a change at any point in the season for Drew to be a starter? I think it's very possible because the feeling out here is that that's who – they hoped would step up and win the job, um, but they had to keep Gino around because he does know the offense well and there is that security there. Uh, but Pete Carroll, it's not like any coach loves turnovers, but Pete Carroll, I would say, uh, freaks out about them more than most, um, gets really hesitant. You know, the year that they let kind of open the offense up for Russell Wilson and they were setting historic numbers at the beginning of the season, what was that, 2000? 19 I think maybe yeah uh as soon as Russell threw more picks than he he we were used to I think he had like seven and four games or something they completely Mm -hmm. dialed it back so I I think Drew Locke will have to prove to them that he can be a little safer with the ball and and there's question as to whether he can do that but if he can then I, I think they would actually like to get him in there Okay, I'll stop asking you about hypotheticals. We're always just Team Drew Locke here in Denver because obviously we wish him the best. But let's talk about Monday night because we're all so excited. We're excited for football to be back. But this is a huge matchup for maybe some even stuff off the field, right, about Russell Wilson returning back to Seattle with the drama. 
do you anticipate, I'm actually going to ask you another, I guess, hypothetical a little bit, but do you anticipate him getting booed? Uh, I, I do. Okay. Um, I guess we'll see how, how much of the crowd it is. Like if you'll be able to pick up on it, but we, we asked that question um, on the show, our morning show right after he was traded and it was very much almost all yes we're gonna boo <laughs> there was some bitterness there but we revisited it this week and it still seems like there are a lot of people intent on booing i know tyler lockett made a plea to the fans that they should realize that this is a business and he did his job and uh moved on but i i really think that we uh we have the fans out here they call the 12s that are kind of the most diehard passionate ones and it's a loud stadium and I think they're they're going to be out there. And we also actually on the Brock and Salk show this morning had Joe Buck on. And he said that he and Troy Aikman have already spoken about leaving a silence at the beginning of the game so that you can hear that because they're they're expecting that from the fan base. Oh, my gosh. OK, well, I hope they still do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely interested to see how that's going to go over. But who's a player that Bronco fans should be on the lookout for come Monday night who could make a big splash? Uh, I mean, on the offense, I think that Rashad Penny um, is definitely the running back. He, people might not know him as well because he was a first round pick and just has had a string of injuries year after year after year. Uh, fans here were pretty down on him for a while, but when he finally was able to stay healthy at the end of last season, I think last five games or so, he was one of the best running backs in the league. Uh, and he's managed to stay healthy through this off season. So um, I think especially because we are starting Geno Smith that he's going to, he's going to be leaned on heavily um, on the defense. I think it could be interesting. It looks like they may go with Tariq Woolen. Um, one of the rookies at cornerback. We don't have, we don't have that set for sure yet, but um, I know a lot of people are thinking they're leaning that way. And he's kind of in the same boat as Richard Sherman was where he switched to cornerback from wide receiver the last couple of years of college He's still really new to it. And I know a lot of analysts, like when he was coming out of the draft, thought that, yeah, he's going to be good a couple years from now. It's going to take some time. And he's impressed enough in camp. I think that they might start him. So uh, could be a, could be a rough start to go up against Russell Wilson right away. Oh, <laughs> oh, he yeah. is very talented. Okay. Well, we're excited. I'll definitely keep that name in mind for us personally here in Denver. And I guess I'll speak for myself, seeing who Pat Sertan is going to go up against at wide receiver and how they're going to utilize him is going to be very interesting. Would you prefer to see him on Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf? Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. I honestly think that Tyler Lockett is the harder one to cover, even though DK Metcalf is so talented. Tyler Lockett is just a magician where you will think that you have him. And he is somehow able to just get that last couple yards of separation at the last minute. But it'll also be interesting to see if he can still do that because he and Russ had kind of like a an unspoken chemistry where a play could break down and somehow they would just pull off magic to get a play in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. Um, it seemed like last year DK seemed to have more chemistry with Geno Smith than Tyler Lockett did. Um, I think he had better numbers with Gino in than with Russell in. Um, and that Russell was coming off of an injury. So there's a little stipulation there, but so yeah, maybe you as Bronco fans would want a uh, Sertan up against DK. Ooh, I'm very excited to see how that role is going to play out for sure. Uh, last one for me is, well, I guess before we get into predictions, both for tonight for the season opener, but also again for um, Seattle versus Denver on Monday night. But 
how's the offensive line looking there in Seattle? Because Randy Gregory, Bradley Chubb back here in Denver, we're excited to see what they're about. Are we going to see a true competition or is one side going to be more dominant over the other? Um, I I think it will be a competition. That's actually one area that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was kind of a a thorn in Russell's side the whole time that he was out here. But um, ironically, some people are saying like, oh, he leaves and then we do some work on the offensive line. Uh, Because they drafted two rookie tackles in Charles Cross um, at the number nine pick. And then um, they took a a rookie out of Washington State here locally, Abe Lucas, in the third round, I think. They have been really good in the preseason. And I know it's just preseason, but that's kind of a position where you can at least see if someone's pancaking a guy um, repeatedly, that there's something there. And um, so they are replacing Dwayne Brown, who, you know, was one of the best left tackles in the league. I'm sure there's going to be some rookie mistakes made but um they have really really impressed this whole preseason and you know they were honestly looking pretty good down the stretch last year too we mentioned that run that Rashad Penny went on the last five games mm-hmm. and it was part of it was that um Sean Shane Waldron sorry the offensive coordinator that came over from the Rams was able to implement his uh, offensive line coordinator that he's going to use this year a little bit more at the end of the season they fired their offensive line coach Mike Solari and now Andy Dickerson is in charge so I actually think that that's going to be one of the better units on the team okay well we'll look forward to it let's get into game picks so we'll start with Monday night who you got Denver or Seattle oh man (laughs) I feel feel a little bad I'm sorry Lots of things can happen week one. And I, I was interested to hear Tyler Columbus tell us that um, they haven't really done any hard practices. I think he called it glamping. <laughs> yes. And it's been a very big, uh, like, cautious tale of this Broncos team. Everyone's a little worried about it. Yeah. But honestly, I still think week one with uh, the revenge that I'm sure Russell has on the mind, whether he'll say it or not, um, I'm going to go Broncos. I think it, I don't know if it'll be a blowout though. I would maybe go like twenty four seventeen. Okay, a good game. We'll take that. Um, yes, we can talk about the Russell emotion again because he said that there is no emotion in football, which I roll my eyes to. But let's get into tonight's game yeah. because NFL football is back. We're so excited. Who are you taking, the Bills or the Rams? I'm gonna go with the Bills. I, I picked this one already earlier. Uh, I think I'm a little. I'm a little concerned about uh Matt Stafford's elbow even though they keep trying to say that everything's going to be okay there I don't know about you (laughs) no I'm totally with you we were talking about this earlier on in our show and we're like this came out of nowhere which of course media always does this right before a big game they're like oh let's go and drop this but I do find it a little surprising that this was not talked about at all I feel like if it was just a super small procedure they would have been like oh he's getting this fixed whatever we're moving on but instead it comes out right before the game so very interesting but Maura Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Appreciate all your insight. And Monday night, it's going to be sure a fun night. This was awesome. Thank you, Rachel. No problem. All right, everyone. And that's going to do it for Behind Enemy Lines. So much fun. Hold on one second. There it is. But that's going to do it here for Coffee Break. Such a fun one today, a Thursday. Again, we're super excited for tonight's game. And we're back tomorrow morning. Cecil Lammy and myself, and we're breaking down everything that you need to know as the Broncos will get ready for Monday night. So, and Plus, we've got fantasy picks, too, for everything also. So get ready, everybody. We're super excited. We'll see you 1030 tomorrow morning. Bye, everyone.